Hello and welcome back to Coffee and Cortisol, your PA podcast. I'm joined today by Viet, uh, and we'll be talking about several things, including uh, COVID, and then we'll be answering your questions from uh, all the listeners that sent in a, a reply. So hang tight, it's going to be a good show. So for those of you uh, coming back to us, it has been... Um, about uh what four months now uh, i think since i put out february march april three months um since we uh last put out a podcast uh i apologize for the tardiness but um life kind of got in the way so you know i think rosie and i wanted to start this podcast originally because uh other people weren't putting out podcasts fast enough um i saw a lot of podcasts stop at like 10 and i find out why because life in school and and stuff gets in the way and um Unfortunately, ultimately, like school is going to take priority over a podcast. So um, for those of you who have been listening, I'm sorry for not getting ones out earlier, but we're hoping um, that we'll have a little bit more time to uh, to do so now. So um, yeah, Viet, what's good in your hood? Hey, man. Uh, so the last time I think you left off, we were start we were starting our rotations, our second year clinical rotations, and life was yep. moving super fast. I don't know about you, but I was doing cardiology. and it was it was like you know swimming in in a uh, kiddie pools and then jumping into a pool with a shark in it um that felt like it and that was like day one it's like like sink or swim because there's a shark coming after you and what the preparation you have is like you know training in a kiddie pool so then life was super fast and then covid happened and then it was just a little strange actually very strange and so many changes yeah because you heard like losing their spots and rotations and you know it, there's just kind of this sense of like impending like doom coming like you knew something was coming maybe eventually like and people are dropping out of rotations i mean i remember being like shoot we gotta because they said you need at least four weeks to finish your rotation and i'm like going into the fourth week i'm like come on i just gotta make it through this week at least record one day this week so i can like count it as a full rotation not have to go back in the future yeah, but it wasn't just that. It was a lot of things outside of people's control because this is right, a novel. Sure. It was like a novel virus. No one understands what, it, you know, the impact of it. No one knew whether you have it or not. Everyone's just like, if you cough or if you have a fever, then suddenly everyone's looking at you with uh, pretty scary eyes, you know? And I was like, sometimes I want to cough because, you know, like, you know, like pollen outside, but I was afraid to, so I swallowed it and, and then... <laughs> And, yeah. And then like patients coming in, that was the talk. So then it was like a lot of cardiology. And then it was like, oh, man, COVID this, COVID that. And then people were starting to, you know, like not not like be afraid to come to work. And then I would get a text like, hey, you know, things are getting a little too dangerous. Like it would be inconsiderate to uh, to keep having you come, because if you get sick and something happens like that's just inconceivable. And I get it. You know, I, I get it. But. I kind of want to learn too. And that was just taken out of our control. And you know that, and then our, our, what week did you get? What? What week did you get kicked out? Like middle, uh, like early fourth week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, We, we made it five and it was kind of, I mean, everyone was kind of like looking at the doc, like, are we really still, still going? Like this kind of just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because we were we were pairing back who we were seeing like if we didn't need to see somebody we just wouldn't because um you know not that you don't need to see everybody all the time but like unless they were like really sick like we tried not to see people because you know we don't know if we have it we don't know if they have it and like spread it to a bunch of people and like i was working with 
you know, in some SNFs or, or skilled nursing facilities and they, um, you know, like a lot of old people there, obviously it's, you were doing, was it geriatrics or was internal medicine? Internal medicine, but the doc I was with, he also, uh, does geriatrics too. So he's kind of covering both, Mm. but, uh, I mean, you know, the interesting thing is like, you start off, you start hearing about it and then you're going into these places and they don't really care that you're going in whatever, but then eventually they, they start to have more uh, restrictions. And, and honestly, a lot of them were just, uh, in my opinion, kind of half-assed. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you felt, but like I would go in to this one place, they would take my temporal, uh, temperature and they, they would clean it off between people, but like they, they stuck it on my head when it was still wet with alcohol. And for those of you that don't know, like it, an instrument isn't clean until it actually dries. Like things can still be alive with wet alcohol. So like, I feel like that's a test question on your first semester. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't know if we really ever talked about it necessarily, but it's just like kind of things you pick up over time. So like, like so by them putting wet, wet thermometer on my forehead, like they're just transferring from people to people, all this stuff. And not only that, a temporal thermometer is not very good at detecting it. And I, I bet you it's not going to detect most fevers. It's not, it's not going to be as a, what is that? Sensitive. Yeah. Specificity versus sensitivity. Yeah. It's not very sensitive. Here's the That's thing, man. The honest truth is that at the time, everyone was worried about whether you had this at first it was, I mean, earlier on, it was like, well, this COVID thing is a joke. You know, it's not going to come up. And then it became more serious. And then people started showing quote unquote symptoms. Like, did they have it? We don't know. What at the time happened was that there was not enough tests. There was no test, and there's no way for you to confirm it. But the hospitals and facilities right. can't just be like, oh, I'm not going to do anything. So they had to take your temperature or whatever it is, right? Uh, at my facilities, they didn't have any tests because it was, it was. I mean, they didn't have it there. They, they tested for other COVID strains, which is part of their their uh like the protocol they're they're looking to see if you have like different viruses or whatever but COVID 19 was not on those tests that you can order at the time at least yeah no yeah but, and, uh, and then so with that said like elective surgeries were taken off like cardiology surgery is a big thing you know yeah. putting putting in uh, pacemakers that's huge so then like like elective surgeries were taken off and then my doctor said that like you know they're 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 cutting down massively on the patients coming into the office. And then at one point I felt, I felt really bad. Cause I, I, I was like, Hey doc, like you're, you're you know, pretty old and you're in the category of patients who, if you get it, it might not turn out well for you. And he's like, yeah, I know. But like, I, I cannot not do what I do. I have to do, I have a sense of duty to, for my patients. And I was like, I don't know. It was a weird, it was like one of those epic dramatic moments where it's like, well, good luck doc. Like I know that I'm being like, yeah. let go, but like, I, like, I hope you're safe. Please be safe. Yeah. You know, some Hollywood. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely like scary for everyone kind of involved, you know, cause like young people do die from this, you know, it's not just the the older people. So it's like, you know, you hear about like a 23 year old nurse or, or something like that, that occurs every now and then. And that's just rather unfortunate that, you know, it just, it can affect young people, like healthy young people. Yeah. I, I thought it, I, I thought it affects people of all ages. However, the, the chance of dying if you are young is super low. 
And I, I, I thought that I didn't hear like I thought that the chances were very nil versus if you were like older than like 60, then the chances are flipped around and suddenly super higher. I don't really know. Yeah, I think that's probably fair for like most things, though. You know, like if you get the flu, like it's worse if you're older, although flu affects kids worse, too. But like or if you're in a car crash or whatever, like you have surgery, like younger people just tend to do better with things because they're their healing factor is just that much faster. I, it sounds like you have a bias against uh, older older patients, David. I mean, just get rid of all the boomers. <laughs> <laughs> the, that the biggest no. thing to me was there were so many questions going. Cir- there were so many questions circulating from patients, from providers, from med- from everyone, yeah. and no one had the answers. No one still really has the answers. You know, there's a task force. There's like w- there's a CDC, but like you know, like is it airborne or is it droplets? Like, what can we do to protect ourselves? Yeah. What What is the extent that we have to go to in order to protect us and, more importantly, our families? My mom, you know, my family. If I go home, do I have to, like, spray myself down with bleach? You know what I'm saying? Can I even go home? What if I go home and I, yeah. like, inadvertently bring home something that infects her? I cannot live with that. Like, the, just the thought of that. And I'm pretty like this was on the thought of everybody, like all the students, you know, they don't care about their lives. But the fact, well, I'm pretty sure they do. But they're like, if the, the thought of just bringing a home and tr- giving it to your your folks, that that's like heartbreaking. You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's uh, I think where a lot of people have to like make a you know decision. And I think it's kind of a tough decision to make because like, right, we're all in this for like kind of for a duty or a sense of purpose, but. um you know, there's a little bit of like self-preservation in there too, where well, well, what do you need? like what do you need how, how, or like, what do you just, you said self of uh, a sense of self-purpose? Like, what was that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, like um, we, you know, we sign up for this to, to work and to be out there. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like, would you go into work tomorrow to save people's lives? If you knew you were going to die, like, would you still do it? Or would you, you know, you're going to die at the end of the day, no matter what, say, like, would you still go in and work to help people save as many as you can? Or do you spend time with your family? And I think that's a lot of, you know, and I'm not saying there's one thing that's right or wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, that's things that like people kind of had to consider here. And that's kind of, you know, you don't see that very often unless it was like a bioterrorist attack or like something like that, that would, you know, and it's just a uh, very unique circumstances, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And these and you and we, we all have to admit, these are just crazy times and we've never been hit with something like this before you know we've never been hit so no one really has the answers but like i don't know man to, to answer your question like i want to do like we signed up for this to do the right thing i want to help people i want to go out there and do things but at the same time like like i don't want to be a sacrificial lamb you know like like there's a difference between being doing the right thing and there's a difference between being foolish and not protecting yourself. You know, there's a balance. When I think too, both. I think there's a lot of sense in our class that like, I want to get there out, out there. I want to do something, just anything, something like, let me just be out there. And, you know, um, personally, like I, given that we aren't fully trained yet, I just don't see the point in us going out onto the battlefield um, without a weapon, you know, and, and we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier, but yeah. you know, it just doesn't make sense for us to be out there and not be able to really help to our fullest extent and maybe just get in the way or, um, you know, hold people back that actually can do some real, real good here. And, 
you know, I'm personally trying to look into maybe going back to work depending on how long this goes for, um, as a CNA, but I, you know, it's, and, and I think that's a little different, but also like, there's not enough PPE in hospitals. So like, is it worth it for me to go back? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, everyone, like you need to be able to protect yourself so that you can help other people. Right. And like, like, like someone who just rushes into the battlefield and not protecting himself, like that's foolish. And you know, like you should never be doing that. No matter how good intentions you have to help people, it's like that you should never do that. So, well, I don't know if this necessarily applies, but sometimes, like you know, if you get into a car that that's way too fast for you to handle, like, and you crash that, like that's on you because you knew you couldn't drive it well enough. So, like, I think part of like medicine and especially being a PA is like knowing your limits too. Yeah, and like yep, knowing yep. like when it's not the time and. So, I mean, there's, you know, for, for a lot of us, like, that was where, like, just it. thoughts that went on. There's that line where you, like, you fake it till you make it, but, like, I don't know. There's some things you don't be faking, you know? <laughs> Safety. Well, like, yeah, right. Like, I mean, I mean, there's fake it till you make it, but, like, you're not going to do a, a, you know, quadruple bypass, you know, by faking it till you make it. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, that only I, goes I so far. Operations when I was yeah. a kid, so I, I'm pretty sure I can do it put me in coach please put me in <laughs> that's why they sent him home early from that cardiac rotation not because <laughs> <guess>. of covid <laughs> don't you tell nobody <laughs> this guy's like wait where's the bread basket i don't i don't see that <laughs> um well anyways uh enough of the uh, depressing talk huh unless there's anything else you want to talk about no nah, uh I, I just i mean we can there's so much to talk about on our end but you know i don't know like less of the depressing talk and more of the, you know, positivity It's probably something that everyone else needs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Well, uh, so the rest of our, we'll, uh, um, move on to questions now. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions again, you know, if you want, um, you know, maybe wind up doing just a couple questions here or there, depending on, on how often you send them in. Um, but we, we got quite a few here, so we'll, we'll just run through them and answer them as best we can. So, um, all right, here we go. So for the first person, we have Hannah. Um, she asked, can you please share some tips on the podcast of ways incoming students can prepare for PA school, things you wish you knew before starting, and tools that you utilize most in schools so far? So, Viet, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, let's, let's see here. Um, I remember that I, was, I said that, you know, prepare – uh, medical terminology because there's so much medical terminology that gets thrown around. Um, I don't know. Like you can, you can get into a big, you're going to run a fat marathon going into PA school. So you don't tire yourself and burn yourself out prior to going. So a lot of the recommendations that my classmates or our classmates uh, give is to like kind of take a break, go travel because you're yeah. going to be doing that for a while. Go spend time with your family. Like just get your mind off of things. Um I think that's good advice, you know? I I feel the best thing you can do is challenge yourself, but in a non-school way. So what I mean by that is like, before I started, like I just got like three or four books and I would try to read like each of them for like an hour a day and like process and think about that. Cause like, I knew I'd have to mentally like, you know, be able to do that and switch between stories or like topics, you know, and, and oh, wow. uh, yeah. it's like, 
I feel like that is a good way, you know, and like make it books you want to read. Um, maybe a couple of fictions or non-fictions or whatever you enjoy, but like also make, put something in there that you don't necessarily enjoy, but like learn how to like fight through the uh, dread. Um, Cause that'll happen where you just get a little burnt out on something like, ah, I still need to do it, you know, and, and just try and set yourself up with that. And uh, you know, that way you can kind of build a little bit of focus without burning yourself out. Cause, cause you can try studying anatomy or any of that crap. And it's just going to take, um, it, it, you won't do it as fast as you will in pay school. Yeah. I, I think that when we were taking pharmacology, a couple of our classmates, I remember they're like, we, we studied a whole semester, but we covered everything in that semester in two days in PA school. So I was like, that's insane. That's, in, that's insane that you covered all that stuff within two days. So it's like, how much can you time? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a lot of information. So it's like, I, I guess you can brush up on, on information and it's always good to have your basic foundations, but to like be over ambitious might not be realistic. Yeah, you just don't know how much you're going to need to know. So it just takes, it's going to take you more time. Um, moving on to her next question, things you wish you knew before starting. Um, I'll go first on this one. Um, gosh, uh, you know, that's... Um, there's like, I feel like there's a million things, you know, and it's, um, I guess the, the biggest thing I wish I would have known is like, I thought it would be more challenging, like mentally. Um, it really wasn't the, the things, the things, you know, are like, oh, there's calm no, down. calm down with that. Well, but I, I never felt like there was anything I didn't know, you know, or like couldn't wrap my mind around. It was just a lot of it, you know? Yeah. 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 Like everything made sense. It was just a lot. So it's not like you, if you, if you're smart enough to, get in or like qualified enough to get in, I guess might be a better way. Like you've already done all the work and like mastered the concepts. It's just like mastering a lot of concepts now at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, I think you, you've hit on that. And the last part is like tools that you utilize the most in school so far. Uh, one, one big thing is like utilizing, I don't know. I, I didn't really use like a iPad or my tablet. Like I was just a straight up, I like using paper, ink and paper. I like jumping on paper and just writing on paper. And it's super slow. But I felt like when we went through PA school, everything was on a tablet and everything was uploaded. And then you just kind of went through and flew through all the presentations. And it was a lot more efficient. Now, I still go back to ink and paper because I like, you know, I like my habits. But uh, I felt like that was a very necessary tool that you're comfortable with using. The lectures are so fast paced that you have to grab a powerpoint presentation you have to get through all the slides and get the main points if not everything on there each slide is important and they're they're chock full of you know juicy details that you have to know and i i think that for ipads you guys use uh uh notability is that it like that's a huge thing and then we use OneNote. um but then afterwards it's just you know you don't need to know that but jump on the powerpoint presentation and able to just navigate it and you know take notes off of that i felt like that was a big big way of teaching and learning in pa school you know that the the thing is yeah you're right um i i i know a lot of people you and i both use when tablets um surface and a lot of people in our class use notability and i definitely see the utility of that i know um i just use the powerpoint lectures that was like the easiest way to like take notes myself um instead of moving it over to to uh OneNote from from Microsoft, but 
Um, I would agree with you. Our, our majority of our classmates recorded the lecture and they would go back and then they would like re-listen. They would relearn and then they would like, oh, wh- what did she say for that part? What did she say for that slide? And then they would just jump back to that slide. And I don't know, maybe this is like new technology that everyone else is into, but it's new to me. I've never seen that before. And it's actually quite effective to be able to go back and just kind of, you know, navigate what they said. Yeah, I know with some of our professors, that would have been super helpful. And that's, I guess, one negative for sure for the, the Windows tablet is it didn't have as nice of features as far as recording. Um, as far as like yeah. taking notes and writing, it was fine. It, it adequate yeah, enough. that's fine but- to me. Um, the big question was like, do you drop money on the iPad or do you drop money on the Surface Pro? I don't know. I th- I think if I was to go back in time, I think I should have jumped on the iPad. Oh, you think? I think so because I, I felt like I felt like the the students that utilize iPads notability were able to pick up things a lot faster. Mm. For sure. Yeah, maybe. Like Jr. JR, the guy, Donna, like they, they live on their iPads and they search things up. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm a creature of habit. So I, I stuck with my surface. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think a tablet is, I mean, just to kind of answer the question, I guess a tablet is probably the, the tools that one of the tools we definitely have used the most. Um, I mean, beyond that, I know the Maxwell uh, pocketbook is super, has been super helpful in clinicals. I don't know if you have that, but it essentially just gives you, uh, pretty much all the numbers you need to know for school, like all the labs, all the dermatomes, um, reflexes, uh, an eye chart. It gives you like all kinds of information that's super handy for, um, yeah. you know, to have in the I clinic. Think so that's been really great. You're talking about Maxwell's, right? Maxwell's, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, pocket, yeah. I don't remember the what it's called, but yeah, it's a pocketbook. Everyone has that. Yeah, super, super great. And it's like five bucks on Amazon. It's nothing. So it's kind of yeah. an essential. Okay, right. next question. Yep. All right, Daniel, uh, best part of PA school so far you did not expect to happen? Uh, <laughs> the friends we made along the way. I was thinking um, that too, dude. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, the definitely the relationships are, are probably the top for me. Um, I mean, trying to think of things beyond that. Um, uh, you know, you think, I, I think the funniest jump on thing. That part, yeah. Let me, let me. Why do you think? Let me jump on that. It's. I felt that like prior. Okay, so in undergrad, all the pre pre med people are they're freaking competitive, dude. They 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 will cut you. It's it is so competitive, and it's like you need to be the top. And I just felt like everyone was like, I don't know, I don't want to say shark like, but like you know, you swim with the sharks, you know. So it's like you, you got to prove yourself that you can swim with them. And I felt that was my biggest fear going into PA school. I think I'm pretty sure we talked about this before. Going to yeah. PA school, I was so afraid that everyone's just like, well, you know, I did these research papers. Or did you know I worked here? Or did you know I had a 4.0 here? And I just had this image in my head for some weird reason of people coming in like that. And I was like, I don't know if I can like, I, I don't I don't like that. I, I don't like that. You know, I don't talk like that. I don't like being around like, like that puts me on edge. And that, that surprised me so much. I did not expect that at all because everyone was so welcoming. And when they, they didn't like boast about themselves, like they're actually very open and welcoming. And I don't know, it's probably one of the, it's probably one of the biggest things that I cherish about PA school. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really in the same boat, you know, cause you don't really know 
how competitive people are but like the thing is like no one's going to take your spot so like why be competitive like what are you fighting for you know and i think um i think sometimes med schools have a little bit more of like you know somebody's willing to take your spot potentially so like you need to kind of be on top of your game yeah so it's uh, definitely a nice part of at least our school i'm i'm sure most schools are are like this um i think it's pretty cool because you're you're like but you're competitive with yourself. Yeah. You want to be better than who you were yesterday. And you're working so hard to master it because the scores are always so high and you don't want to be that person on the end, you know? Like, right. and it sucks when you like, when you, when you don't do well on an exam, like, I don't know about you, but I feel, I feel pretty down and I like, yeah. I kill myself over that. And, and so I'm like constantly push myself. So I, I like, you know, master material, so much material. And then everyone's always re- open to, you know, reach out and help. Like, hey, Viet, you need help? Like, oh, you need these notes? Or or you want to talk about this? Like, I don't know. I, like, some people are like, just give me a call. We can talk about a certain subject and get you to better understand it. I'm like, really? Like, for free? <laughs> I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really great experience because, you know, we really haven't had, you know, the last time you're, most people are with, like, other people going to the same class every day is like middle school at best. Um, yeah. You know, and so it's, it's unique that we all go through this experience together. Okay. And on to our next question, we have Carrie from California. Um, what would you have done differently in the application process? Thinking back to that, because I know that's coming up now for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I don't know when Casper opens up. I should look into that, but it's soon everyone. Yeah. I, I think so, I, do you want to answer or do you want me to answer? Like, like, what do you... No, you can go first. I, I think the application process is super, it's super challenging. It's very challenging because these schools are getting inundated with, you know, thousands of applicants and you're in a sea of uh, other recipients and you want to be known somehow. You want to rise above the ranks, right? And I don't know. I, I, there's so many different ways that you can do it, right? Uh, application process has three big things. One is your letter, app, or letter recommendations. Two is your experience, your clinical experience. And three is your personal statement. These are the three big pillars, right? And you need to be solid on all of those. I mean, there's so much you can do for all of it, right? Um, One thing, though, that I recommend, and I think this is a big, 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 big one, is if you can somehow show them that you have, like, a lot of shadow experience. And I know the shadow experience is super hard, but when you can demonstrate that you've done your due diligence and followed a lot of these uh, PAs and shadowed them, it really does give the impression of like, oh, wow, this this applicant really went above and beyond uh, their due diligence to make sure they stand out because they want to be a PA because they want to be a PA. They follow all these PAs to see what they do on a day-to-day basis. They did not just, you know, sign up for this PA because they couldn't get into XYZ or you know what I'm saying? Or because it's it's a great job to have, and I think I I feel like that stands out a lot to um to to the uh, the people looking at the faculty looking at the applications because at the end of the day that's what they're looking at. What like is this applicant? Do they really want to be a PA? That's what they want you to answer. I don't know. I think that does do a good job of sending that message. The thing I guess maybe I would have done differently. Um is uh, just talk to more professors or like run more things by more people. I think that's never going to like 
treat you wrong mm. um where you uh you know because because the thing is like especially pr- any program directors if you're in contact with any of them just run things by them and they can't if you're going to apply to that school they can't do that because of ethical reasons what do you but, what like do you i had somebody things at, by them well i knew a guy who was a program director somewhere else and so i was like hey could you look at my application and just tell me like what i need to do to improve um and so he's like hey like get rid of this like this story is just not worth it kick it out um and so like he just gave me a lot of advice on like how to write a better personal essay and that's because i mean the personal essay sometimes is like what's how how do you separate like two 3.0 students you know or 3.8 students or whatever you know like wherever you're at Mm. um how do you like if people with identical resumes like you have to kind of show your personality and that's what the, the personal statement is and so i think you know, and, um, yeah, I mean it, you know, and that kind of maybe bleeds into the next question, but like, what do you, what do you think was your strongest part of your application? Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I, I want to say like my experience, I, I thought my personal statement was pretty strong, but I think that same. <laughs> okay. Mr. Humble, calm down. Um, I felt that my, <laughs> that was a great, it was a great essay. <laughs> my, my clinical experience, uh, I think that, I don't know. I feel like that they, I feel like that's such a big part of your application. Like people kind of just identify you as, oh, he works at this institution. Oh, he comes from this background. Then he, he understands what it's like to do X, Y, Z, you know, like I was, I was in the ER, I was an ER tech. So he's like, oh, he's, he's very, he's well-versed in life in the ER. He's well-versed with what they do, their protocols. And the things that go on there, we don't he, like he he would be quick to teach everyone else when the time comes around for ER ER class. So I thought that sure. what stands out. Yeah, and I think you know it's um, you know thinking about your experiences, and I, I know I've probably said this before, but just find a way to relate that too. Like like you could, I mean, if you are an ER tech for a couple of years and you can't walk out of there with like a bunch of good stories or like you know, things that, uh, uh, were kind of, um, uh, fortifying experiences in your life. Um, as far as your career as a, a future PA, like, like you kind of, you weren't doing enough. So, you know, um, I think just, uh, try and maximize your time as best as possible while you're, you're in a, a job like that. Yeah. And, uh, the, the last question here, how many schools did you apply to? I applied to six. First time I was like eight. Second time I was like ten. Yeah, and I think they cap you now. You gotta, you gotta cast your your net pretty wide because, I mean, that's the name of the game, man. That's the name of the game, baby. You gotta, you gotta, you know, <laughs> cast that net wide and far and get in where you can because that's the hardest part, securing that interview. And it's, it's, it's. I know it's, the process is, it's everyone goes through it. You know, med school students, PA students, anyone applying. It's like you're, you're you're put in limbo and you're just hoping to hear back. And when you do hear back, which you probably will do not give up, it's going to be the best thing that happens. I know when I, that happened to me, I screamed. I was like, ah, but you know, that's the start of the battle. Um, but you got to be patient sometimes, you know, and just trust the process and, and grind, grind hard. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think, well, too, you know, also like when you're applying, make sure you apply to schools that, uh, I mean, I, just double check the prereqs for all of them. Cause I think uh, one had some fine print that I didn't read on like my first application. It was like, you need to have this class. And like, I didn't, 
I missed that. So like you just waste your application fee on a school you couldn't have got into. So, you know, just be aware yeah, of that. Schools but, um, find every single reason to scrap your applications because they have to go through so much. Yeah. The moment you have something that is like they require, you don't have automatic disqualification, scrap next, scrap next. They have so many applicants, re applicants that, you know, if you're not diligent in, in looking at the requirements, like, that that's a waste of your money. They will take your money too, and they wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't tell you why they scrap it. They'll just say, you know, hey, you, they'll send you a generic email. They'll send a generic email and saying you got rejected from blah 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 blah. And you're like, dang, I wonder what I could have done differently. But it's because you did this, you know. Well, that being said, don't be afraid to call schools too. Like after you've been turned down, like what did I do wrong? Like what uh, what could I do better? Like they may not always give you that information. I know some of them are kind of sticklers about it with me, but just, you know, make sure you go ask and, and try and find that out. I actually wanted you to stay in the Bay area. Either the Bay area is SoCal. Yeah. Honestly, I was, I was all over the place. So tying it up out here. Yeah. I, I, I applied a couple of times and I, I think it was like five or six schools. I remember it was a lot more. And then I like, I don't know why I like went down. Where did you apply to school? California. Like, was I, it all I stuck in? I stuck in California. I, mean, I was like, "What do I really want to go here?" I don't know. Looking back, it's probably not the smartest thing, you know, but it worked out. And yeah. I like to be honest. I got super lucky, so I shouldn't have done that. I should have done what you did and applied to more. Um, looking back, that was not the decision. Yeah, but it all it all worked out. You guys are blessed with my presence now. Well. I won't go that far. <laughs> that is it for today. So uh, thank you for coming on, Viet. Yeah, no worries. And uh, we'll we'll have you back very shortly because we have questions to go through, but we needed to kind of set the table with COVID and how that was affecting our lives. So uh, we're hoping to do more podcasts more often. So stay tuned and we'll have another one shortly for you guys with uh, mailed in questions. So until next time, we'll talk to you then. All right, later, guys.